I want to just talk this morning, <coughs> excuse me, but my voice goes, about keeping context and, and just do a little thing. I'm going to do a series a little bit later on in the year, probably next, early next year, uh, called Heritage and Legacy. And I want to talk about um, the, the local church. I want to talk about why we're Baptists. I want to talk about the, the line of Baptists. I want to talk about why we use the KJV. Um, those that have gone before us, the principles that we're standing on, and do a little little series on it. And one of the reasons, you know, that 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 I believe what I believe is because I've been taught to keep context within the scriptures. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we live in a, a world where context isn't often taught, and a lot of Christians will just grab a Bible and grab a verse. And then off they run with it and, and, and build a whole pattern of life upon it. And actually, they may have been mistaken. Why? Because they haven't got the context. So context is important. Let me read this paragraph to you. And I want you to see if it makes sense. A seashore is a better place than the street because you need lots of room. At first, it's better to run than to walk. You may have tried several times. It takes some skill, but it's easy to learn. Even young children can enjoy it. Birds seldom get too close. If there's no snags, it can be very peaceful. But if it breaks loose, you won't get another chance. Any of that makes sense to you? Hmm? Somebody may have even heard us before. No? Let me, let me give you some context. Because without context, the paragraph doesn't make sense. And the context unlocks it. And one word can be the interpretive key to opening up that whole entire paragraph that I've said to you. That one word is kite. Kids, do you know what kites are? I don't know if they use kites today. Do they still use kites? Yes, good. Have you got a kite at home? Good man. Good man. So let's take a bit of Kate and let me read the paragraph again. A seashore is a better place than the street because you need lots of room. Makes sense with a Kate, right? At first it's better to run than to walk. You may have to try several times. It takes some skill, but it's easy to learn. Even young children can enjoy it. Birds seldom get too close. If there's no snags, it can be very peaceful, but if it breaks loose, you won't get another chance. Makes sense, doesn't it, when you have the context. When you have that little word, it unlocks the truth of what you want to see. Now again, when you get the biblical truth, that's so important. That we have the context. And in the context we say in, in, in uh, the Bible college here is that context is king. Context tells you what uh, the passage is saying and what it means. It, it allows you to get to the original meaning. What we call this is authorial intent. What the author meant when he wrote it. We have to get to that. It's so important to keep context. Because if you take something out of context, you may have heard the saying, it becomes a pretext. And you can launch it to anything. Cults have been formed out of people taking verses and taking them out of context. So we want to be important, uh, you know, focus on taking context. And what I wanted to do this morning is simply this. Just quickly, we're not going to be a huge amount of time, hopefully. Just look at some verses um, that are one of some of the most more popular ones taken out of context. I want you to turn with me, first of all, to Matthew chapter number 7. 
Matthew chapter number 7. Verse number 1. Matthew 7, verse number 1, says this. Judge not, that you be not judged. Judge not, that you be not judged. Now, this is a big one. Because this is the verse that people take a very liberal view of Scripture will want to quote at you whenever you challenge anybody about their actions and their behaviours. Okay? So, I come along as a conservative, fundamental, Bible-believing pastor, I go into a church where there's same-sex marriage going on or something like that, and I say, I think that's biblically wrong. Somebody comes along and says to me, did, did Jesus not say, judge not that you be judged? Who you did give judgment? So what's her answer to be? What's her answer to be? Right. But well, you need to use scripture. Mm. Yeah, you need the rest of the verse. You need the context. So let's read. Verse 2. For with that judgment you judge, you should be judged. And what measure you, you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Verse 3. And why beholdest the, the mode that is in thy brother's eye, and consider not the beam that's in thine own eye? Or how will they say to thy brother, let me pull out the mode of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite. First cast out the beam of their own eye, and then they shall see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. So this is the, the thing. You know, if you've got a speck, uh, a little bit of wood, uh, speck of uh, wood in your eye, in your brother's eye, deal with the, the log that's in your own first. So here in the verses it tells us not to be a hypocrite. It says in verse 5, first cast out and then. So it doesn't tell us not to judge. It tells us not to judge hypocritically. So, if I was to go and, um, you know, uh, speak to somebody within the church who, who was uh, married and had committed an, uh, adultery, and I was in the middle of an affair, that's hypocritical judgment. How can I go and say to that person what they're doing is wrong when I'm up to my neck in the same wrong? You understand? So the context is not like just let everything go. The context is, with biblical eyes, be right with God, and then if something's wrong with God, and you're right with God, and you're not in the wrong place, lovingly go and speak to your brother or sister in Christ and, and help them. Tell them that it's wrong in the eyes of God, and actually they'd be better uh, repenting and, and turning away from that. So, you know, just to pull that verse, but if you pull that verse out on its own, it could very simply mean is, like, you don't have a right to say unto anybody about anything. And that's nonsense. It's nonsense. If there was just one verse in the Bible and this was it, you could use it as that. But that's not the way it is. It's written in context. The ethereal attempt under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is not to say that don't judge anybody. It's simply to say, if you're judging them righteously, make sure that you're right with God. Simple. Simple, simple, simple. Matthew chapter 18. Turn there while we're in Matthew. Verse 20. <laughs> Matthew 18, verse 20. 
Here we are. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. People that have studied the word, I can see them smiling because it will drive you nuts like it drives me nuts. What's the problem with this verse? Context. Verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thus gains a brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Verse 17, if he neglects to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglects to hear the church, let him be as a heathen man and a publican, etc., etc., etc. This verse is in the, the context, again, of, 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 of judgment a little bit, but church discipline. Dealing with somebody that there's, there's a trespass against, there's a fault between, here's the biblical instructions, you go and see him. If you can't, can't reason with him, then what do you do? If he doesn't hear you, verse 16, you take uh, one or two witnesses with you. Going back to the Old Testament Levitical law. And then Jesus ratifies it and says, we're two or three to gathered, I am with you. Gathered in what? Gathered in church discipline, righteously, I'm with you. I'm there. But often we use this verse in prayer meetings. Where the church is gathered and we'll say, and we'll say where two or three are gathered, the Lord's here. Now that is true. But is this statement true? Where one believer is gathered, the Lord is there. Absolutely it is. He's in dwelling of Christ within you. You abide in him. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Understand that, what that means. So where you are, Christ is with you. <laughs> There's two of you. Yes, Christ is there, but this is not the verse. Why? Because that's not what it means. That's not the context. And you think, well, Pastor, you're, you're splitting the airs there. You're just being awkward. No, I'm not. I'm being biblical. And the problem is, if we're not biblical here, we're not going to be biblical in the other bits. So if we're going to say it, let's get it right, is what I'm saying. Let's go some Old Testament. Here's another one. Oh, here we go. Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah 29. And listen, you know, if, if, if you're here this morning, let me, let me say this in love. If you're here this morning and you've used these verses out of context, it's maybe because you haven't known any different. But I'm here to teach you different. I'm here to tell you that the Bible needs to be looked at as a whole, needs to be looked at as in its context, needs to be looked at in its literal, historical, grammatical context, what it means to who it was written, when it was written. And then it will come alive and you'll see what it means. The rule is this. There's only ever one interpretation of Scripture... There are many applications, but only one interpretation. Jeremiah 29, verse 10, for, or sorry, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Now, who's seen this verse on a fridge magnet? Maybe you've got one at home, have you? Key ring. Maybe you've got it on your desk. A little uh, plaque on your desk as you sit and work and you can look at it every day. As, did you have one of them, Claire? Claire had one of them. <laughs> you go on the internet, thousands of these. 
and you have Christians running about today, now, saying, I know, Lord, that you've planned to prosper me. Now, is that true? Spiritually, yes. Yes. Physically, no. That's not necessarily the case, as we can attest to. Through suffering, through trial, through sickness, through trouble. Look at the life of the Apostle Paul. (laughs) Imagine this. Paint the scene. Paul has been beaten, shipwrecked. I think he died personally, but beaten to death, give or take. He's had a hard time. He's sitting, rubbing down his wounds. Along you come and you say, Paul, 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 I've got a word from you. (laughs) Jeremiah 29. You know what, Paul, you're a master of the law. You've been trained in these things. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. God knows the thoughts that he thinks towards you. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to prosper you, Paul. What's Paul going to say to you? What's he going to say? If he, or what's he going to do? He's going to throw you out the window, isn't he? What are you talking about? Number one, he's going to say it because he was trained biblically in the distinction between Old Testament Israel, New Testament church. He understood that this promise in Jeremiah was for Israel and it was uh, very earthly. It was land-based and it was this simple covenant that they entered into, the law. Mount Sinai, if I will, you will. Conditional covenant. And if the people obeyed God and, and shook his face and followed him, the land prospered, they did prosper. Physically, financially, economically. That's their promise. That's not our promise. He wasn't writing to us. The interpretation is that Jeremiah is writing to Israel. And I'm in, I'm in the middle of reading Jeremiah, just my own kind of uh, daily, doing a chapter a day. And, uh, you know, it's a horrific judgment against the people of Israel. But God had plans for them, purposes, covenants that we're seeing beginning to be fulfilled. But for us, the church, our, our promises, I want you to get this, are all heavenly. Heavenly. We will be prospered spiritually. We will be prospered in the new heavens and the new earth. But here and now, the type of prosperity that's promised to Israel is not promised to us. You could be the greatest evangelist, sold out for the Lord, and you can live in poverty. Your needs met, but live in poverty and be beaten for your faith, uh, be uh, um, you know, persecuted day in and day out. Your treasures in heaven will be immense. But on earth, in Ohioan, why? It's different. We call this dispensation. It's a different time. God is dealing with Israel in a different way. So, yes, the application is that God does want to prosper you spiritually. He said that. We're going to do Ephesians that in Him we are blessed spiritually. But that doesn't mean that in this world it's not going to be difficult. And when we take this verse and apply it, and that, I think we're taking it out of context. And a lot of believers that have never been introduced to real context and scriptural integrity see this verse and then face life. 
And when this first and their understanding doesn't match what they expected the Christian life to be, who gets the blame? God. God. Why would he do this? If he said this and this is happening, then he's not real. Why? Out of context. Out of context. You know, you, you read in Jeremiah 20 and 29, if you look in verse 10, it says, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you, perform my good word towards you, and cause you to return into this place. This is about Israel and their captivity. Nothing to do with us whatsoever. What's the application? That God does have a plan for us. But in this life, it may not mean prosperity. Now, you think, well, you're just, again, you're splitting hairs. There are churches today that will meet today that have people sunken into this lie of miscontext that if you come and you serve the Lord and you sow a seed into their ministry, you will be blessed financially because the Lord knows the plans that he has for you to prosper you. That's a lie. Because that's not scriptural. That's not what this passage is saying. important. Context is important. Here we go again. Two Chronicles. Turn there. Just a couple more and we're done. (coughs) Two Chronicles chapter number (laughs) 7. Two Chronicles 7 verse 14. Let me read this to you. Now, think about it if you've heard this. I've seen this. That's one of the reasons I came off Facebook. Drives me nuts. When you see this thing where people are praying for this land and they say, you know, call God out in his promises in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then they will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and will heal their land. So we want this, we want the uh, broken Britain, that's what I'm going to call it, because it is broken beyond belief. I, I actually, I said to Claire yesterday, and, I, and I, I mean this, I'm going to try and avoid watching the news as much as possible, because things are declining at a rapid rate. If you have not seen this, even look at Stoke-on-Trent news, and you will see the stuff that's happening. Broad daylight, crime committed, just no, no boundaries, no, nothing. This is what we, we are going to reap what we have sown. In broken Britain. But here's the answer. Let's just uh, pray to the Lord. Seek his face. Turn from our wicked ways. He'll hear from heaven. He'll forgive their sin. And he'll heal the land. That's a great promise. The problem is it's not for us. That was for Israel. Under what? The covenant of the law. Conditional. If you will, I will. This is the I will of God. As it relates to Israel. And their earthly promises. You will find no such promise of an earthly healing from the Lord for the church. In fact, the only time that you'll find the earth being healed in the New Testament is when students of the Bible should know this, because we've done it in Revelation, is when the Lord comes back and fixes it. That's it. That's it. This is not a universal promise, this is for Israel. It's not for today. Now, 
can God do this? Yes, of course he can. Might he do this if the nation turned? Yes, of course he might. But this is not the promise to hold him to. Because he's somebody going to say to you, that's not yours. Pray for something that is yours. Pray in my will. Is our job about healing the land? No. What's the church commissioned to do? Spiritual. Spiritual. Heal the heart. Share the gospel. Social work's brilliant. Doing all this stuff's brilliant. But it's not the main thing. Next one. Proverbs 22. Verse number 6. Proverbs 22 verse 6 says, and you've heard this I'm sure, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I know that Pastor David takes the same position that, that I take, so I'm sure he's taught this, but for those of you that haven't been under David's ministry, or maybe never thought, you may come to us and look at this like a wonderful promise to parents. If you train a child in the way he should go, i.e., you teach him the word of God, you take them to Sunday school, you uh, invest and you show them Christ Jesus, that they'll never depart from that. Now, two problems with that. Number one, Proverbs are not promises. They are principles. Okay? That's number one. Number two, if we apply this principle, does it work? To give an understanding, if we train a child in something, he'll not depart from it, spiritually speaking. No. No. You don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you have children that you have taught in the Lord, that you've shown them, took them to church, and are not walking in the Lord? There'll be people here that have that. I've had people come to me crying, broken, taking this verse and saying, I have failed. I have failed. Because if I had to train them right, they wouldn't have departed from it. Number one, the problem with that is, every human being is individually accountable before the Lord. You make your decision before Christ. Your parents can't make it for you, they can't do it. Many good Christian parents have trained their children in the Lord and they've seen them not go on in the Lord. But that's not your fault. And the Bible never says it's your fault. So never feel like it's your fault. Now, the other side of that, let me say, some of you may be responsible for not showing your children Christ. So it doesn't remove responsibility, what I'm saying. But this verse, to me, it can't mean that because we don't see the principle working consistently. We just don't. So, so what, what's going on? I think there's something else going on. One writer says this. Uh, train up. He says it's from the verb derived, uh, is derived the Hebrew word for education. In the way he should go. Literally according to his way. The intention is not of the way of uprightness and good living, but for the way in which he is to spend his life. Whatever occupation he is later follow, it is necessary to prepare him for it in his early years, because then are habits formed which influence his conduct in manhood. So some biblical scholars will hold to this, and I hold to this position, that this is simply telling us the principle that if, if, if you train a child in early years in something that 
probably they're naturally gifted in, it's going to stick with them. They're going to go on and they're going to do it. You see this in music or whatever it may be. For those of you who had children, had to teach them piano, you've seen a little gift there, you've had to stick at it, right? Claire will tell you about this. The parents have had to, like, you need to practice, you need to do that. What's it do? It stays with them. It stays with them. You know, if you train your child, um, you know, skills, they're going to stay with them in life. This is the principle. What it isn't is a promise that if you take your children to Sunday school and you show them Christ, that they're going to go and choose Christ in life. It's taking it out of context. One more and we're done. In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. Here we go. Proverbs 29, verse 18. says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law happy is thee. So this one's used a lot, where churches will vision cast. You know, the vision for the future. And they'll read re- re- this, this verse and say, Well, there's no vision for the church, the people perish. They fall apart. You know, vision, vision's important in church. I, I believe it is. But this is not a verse to back it up. Because the word vision means revelation. And what it means is, where the word of God is not there, the people run amok. That's what the word perish means. That's what it's getting at. To be turned loose or free from restraint. So here it is. This is what, the, what it's saying in context. It's saying, where the word of God is not present, the people run astray. That's the vision that it's talking about. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. That's the context. It's not, if we don't have a vision statement for this church, <laughs> nothing's going to happen. No, we do have a vision statement for the church. It's the Bible. Right? And as long as we foundationally make sure that the Word of God is opened, expounded, and taught, then the other stuff will come. But this is not about having a vision statement. This is about churches, places where the Word of God is not opened. The people will run astray, run amok. And we've seen this and continue to see it. So we've looked at just some of these and I've only gone quickly. I'm not, again, I'm not going to finish up now. But all I want you to, to do and take away from this is that context is important. How do we get context? We have to study the Word of God and learn it from ourselves. Now, God has given pastors and, and teachers, evangelists, etc. to the church. It's my job to build you up and some of the things I'm going to be looking at down the line in this church is by, by doing this. Because I do believe, I really do believe, that there's a, a lack of, of, of firm foundational teaching in churches today. I want to teach you to be able to see these things for yourself. And that's all that I wanted to do this morning, is to help you see that actually just taking a verse is dangerous. Look at it in its context. Look at it in the book. And then, then you have to step back again. You have to look at the book in the order of the whole counsel of God. And that takes work and time and study. It takes the church and it takes the people of the church. But the most important thing is simply this. When you're reading a verse, whatever it is, I want you to think of my, my voice and think context. 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 What is it saying in the midst of everything that's written around it? Who is it written to? Who wrote it? What type of writing is it? Where was it written and why was it written? These are the things that will help you get the context 
so that you can rightly divide the Word of God. If you don't rightly divide the Word of God, we're told the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, what it's going to do, it's going to damage you. It's going to damage you. <clears throat> Again, just thinking about believers that have had come to me from the past, and, and usually um, from charismatic backgrounds, that have come and have, and have, have been dealing with stuff, and they're like, they're, what I call them spiritual self-harmers. Because they're taking verses out of context and they're beating themselves down with it. I don't have enough faith. My life is a mess because I'm not faithful enough. Because I've been told that God wants to prosper me. And I'm not being prospered. Therefore, there's something wrong with my faith. I'm lacking. And then they come into the company of somebody that says, actually, your faith is lacking. That's why you're not receiving Here's what you can do. Why don't you uh, give money to God? Sow that seed of faith and he'll multiply that. Plant that acorn and God will turn it into a tree. Are you faithful in your giving? Maybe that's why God's not prospering you. I feel the Lord saying to me here this morning, if somebody wants to write a check for a thousand pounds, the Lord is going to triple that in the deposit of the bank of faith. It's important context. And you can say, do you know what? That's not what the Bible says. That God has said to me in the New Testament for the church that those that love God and Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That I might have to die for my faith. That my blessings are in heaven. That my treasure is in heaven. My hope is in heaven. That this world means nothing to me. All that matters is the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. You don't have context. You're going to sit under somebody's ministry and you're going to be fleeced. And you're going to expect things from God and God never promised them to you. That's why keeping context is important. So church, do your due diligence. Search the scriptures. Search the context. Ask the questions of the pastor and the leaders that we might be able to build you up in the faith and keep you from error. Because where there's lack of vision, lack of word of God, the people will go astray.